0: This Sunday, Luke was retelling the story of David and Goliath. He did it in a very visual way, using lots of actors, uh, people playing lots of different parts in the stories, uh, which was excellent, but it hasn't translated over onto the recording. Uh, So I'm just going to read the story that Luke retold. We're going to pick it up from 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we've got this situation where the prophet Samuel has been called to appoint a new king over Israel. And he asks Jesse, a man named Jesse, to bring all of his sons uh, and to stand in front of David. So we'll pick up 1 Samuel 16 and verse 6. It says, when they came, he looked on on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. For we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men, the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valour a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul. And entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armour bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favour in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Socor, which belongs to Judah and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes-Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered, and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, "'Why have you come out to draw up for battle?' Now David, who was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were very much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God, and the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him now Eliab, his eldest brother, eldest brother, when he spoke to them, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, "Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness?" I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armour He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that God saves not with sword and spear, For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered the camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem.
1: Who loves stories? Hands up if you love a story. I love stories. I love how we can learn so much from both historical accounts and fictional tales. So often there's a moral in there somewhere, or a central point something that we can draw out as important, the key thing to take away and or remember. Societies who base teaching and learning on storytelling are able to look and listen and look deeply into what is being told without needing three points, an extra conclusion or specific explanations. Uh, The gypsy people, for example, very much teach each other and remember their history through stories, folklore and songs. There's an art to the storytelling that makes an event from hundreds of years ago seem to come alive again on the lips of those who tell it. Fairy tales, like those written by Hans Christian Andersen, the Brothers Grimm, and so on, who wrote wonderful tales taken from folklore, myth, and their own imagination. Stories that could just be seen as fiction and interesting to listen to, but also offered warnings and morals that unfolded in their telling. Don't go into the woods alone don't be hasty in making deals, don't accept gifts from strangers, and so on and so on. Tales told from parents to children as warnings, now disnified and glossed over to take some of the sinister edge off, but still with teachings buried inside. This series we've been working through during the summer has been about historical biblical stories that kind of were always the standards for children at Sunday school, I guess. Whether it was um, in my childhood with Ruth and Pete Bean telling the stories using felt figures on a board, or cardboard boxes piled up to represent the walls of Jericho for kids to kick over, or by using my most hated and feared of all storytelling devices, puppets. <laughs> I hate puppets. puppets. I think it's their cold dead eyes like sharks. Just staring at you while they tell the tale. Oh. Oh, God. For those of you who've spent a lifetime in churches, these stories can almost um, be told by heart. Eden, Adam, Eve, fruit, serpent, Ooh, naked, fig leaves. Moses, basket, Egypt, burning bush, plagues, Red Sea, Jericho, Joshua, Rahab. Da-da-da-da. I hope we've been practising this week after Sam last week. The walls, tumbling down, David and Goliath. Little David, big Goliath. Armour won't fit, flings stone into Goliath's head, cuts it off, my favourite part. There's a danger, I think, that we can go into autopilot when we read or hear these, if we've heard them many times before. There's also a danger that we can assume that everyone knows them and knows what they're supposed to learn from the stories. When actually not everyone knows them. Not everyone has heard them hundreds of times. There's a women's clothing brand I found out about called David and Goliath. Uh, They do like uh, lounge pants and onesies, I think. And I reckon there are people who own some of that clothing who don't know anything about the Bible story at all. It's just a name, it's just a brand. The moral of David and Goliath, so society says, is that of the underdog defeating the favourite, the giant the champion. It's unexpected and provides the plucky challenger with their day in the headlines. We eat that stuff up in the UK. We love it. Iceland beating England in Euro 2016. That's a David Goliath story. The British women winning eight straight matches and winning the hockey gold the other day. That's David versus Goliath story. Erin Brockovich taking on the Pacific Gas and Electric Company. That's a David and Goliath story but I'm going to argue right now that this being the moral of the particular story is kind of flawed I know that's a big statement but I think I can back it up today here we go Goliath was the champion of the Philistines we can agree with that we know that it says it he was huge he was strong even stronger than James he'd been trained as a soldier from birth one on one sure it's highly likely he could have beaten and killed any man in that Israelite army. On the other hand, you've got David. At his oldest, he's a young man. Sure, he's all ruggedly handsome and probably relatively strong in that sort of countryside farming kind of way. He's good with a slingshot and has beaten off lions and bears in the past. However, physically, he's still no match for Goliath. And this is where society goes, ah, ha ha, you see the underdog, just like Iceland's. However, this is where I say, I think David was the favourite to win that battle. I think it went totally to form. This wasn't Japan beating the All Black at rugby's. David defeating Goliath was like Germany beating England in a football penalty shootout. In other words, it was inevitable. David was chosen by God. He was anointed by Samuel. God's hand was on him. 1 Samuel 16 verse 13 says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. When David heard Goliath shouting out defiance against God's chosen people, his heart was stirred. Standing before Goliath, David said, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. It wasn't David versus Goliath. It was David and the spirit of the Lord versus Goliath. Romans 8 verse 31 says, and I'm sure some of you will know it, what then shall be the response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know what? I know I'm speaking on David today, but this is what I want the rest of our time here to focus on. If God is for us, who can be against us? The story of David being chosen by God and going on to great things is not just limited to him alone. Joseph, who we spoke on earlier in the year, was chosen by and used by God. Becoming the second most powerful man in Egypt, helping the nation to not just survive a terrible famine, but to sell their grain reserves to other countries at that time. Joseph was the second youngest brother in his family. He survived being thrown into a pit by his own brothers, sold into slavery, wrongfully arrested, stuck in prison for years. However, God was with him. Gideon, by his own admission, was the least in his family. His clan, the weakest in the tribe of Manasseh. But he was chosen by the Lord to save Israel from the Midianites in Judges 6 verse 12 the angel of the Lord says to him the Lord is with you mighty warrior still Gideon needed proof firstly from the angel of the Lord consuming an offering and then um, two stories with the fleece it being uh, wet when the ground was dry and dry when the ground was wet he needed those signs but the Lord was with him Gideon took 300 men whittled down from 32,000 And the Lord said to him, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. And you know what? God did. Gideon led his 300 men into the enemy camp, and the Lord gave the enemy into their hands. God was for them, and the Midianites could not stand against them. I remember years ago, when I was teaching one of the children's groups at at this church, actually, when we used to meet in QE. That must have been... 20 years ago, it's terrifying to think you two might have been in that group, which is frightening. <laughs> yeah, three on oh man. Um, in response to someone's question in the group on how powerful God was, I drew a bar chart on the blackboard because we still use the blackboard and chalk. 20 years ago, oh, how times have changed. I said something like, "This is how strong you are," and drew a tiny bar on the bar chart. I know this is sound a bit mathsy. I do apologise, but I teach maths now, so mm, sorry. Anyway, I then said, This is the most powerful person in the world. And drew a bar next to it, maybe twice the size. So pretty small. And then I said, This is how powerful God is. And drew a great big tall bar next to them. Up onto the next section. There were rolling boards. Onto the next section of the rolling board and kept going. You see, God is so much more powerful. So much more wonderful than any earthly person, being, situation or thing. I truly believe that if God is for us, it doesn't matter who stands against us. Of course, this doesn't mean we should stand in front of lorries as they hammer far too quickly through Ospringe, shouting at them that we defy them for their speed in the name of the Lord. However, when we go through these difficult times, these challenges, whether it's being bullied at school or work, Desperate money problems, sickness, hard, hard times. We can stand secure in the knowledge that God is with us and we can have our faith in him. The Lord has done so many things for me personally in my life. But I know it to be true. I've had secret gifts of money when I really needed them the most. He told me as I tumbled over the bonnet of a car that hit me at 50 miles an hour in Birmingham. As I went over it, spinning around i suddenly full of peace and God told me you're going to be okay. And uh, I'm sure some of you might not agree, but I kind of, I kind of am. Um, I'm not too bad. I got up on the other side, checked my legs, they were working, CD player still working. It was outside your house, Baron Linda. Wandered over to their doorway and just collapsed in shock. But I was okay. Apologising to the driver for ruining his day. Yeah. <laughs> it's these things. My daughter Lena and I, um, as we are pulling onto the A2, we just prayed for gaps in the traffic. And they happen. It's, you know, it's, it's little things. God is with us, even in these little things. Nothing is too small for him. Nothing is too big for him. David knew that the Lord was with him. He had been blessed and anointed. And the Lord had come powerfully upon him. Others knew this too. One of Saul's servants tells the king about him having the Lord with him. When David heard the words of Goliath speaking out against his people and against his Lord, his response of that was of someone who knew that God was far greater than earthly opponents. Saul saw it in him too, eventually. To begin with, he told David that he'd not be able to fight against Goliath. Well, I guess the future of the entire nation rested upon it, and unsurprisingly, Saul was cautious about sending a lad out to fight Goliath. However, after David told Saul about the lion and the bear, and about how the Lord kept him safe from these beasts... Saul told him, "Go, and the Lord be with you." Saul must have seen the Lord with David to allow him to be the one to fight Goliath. It was a huge decision to make, and although the Lord's favor had been removed from Saul, he would still have recognized God's presence. After all, he'd be made king in the Lord's presence in 1 Samuel 11. He saw the human frame and refused, but then he saw God and sent David to fight with a blessing. I guess here as I start to work my way uh, towards my conclusion, I would ask us all, sorry, I could ask us all, what is your Goliath? What are those giants that you're struggling with at the moment? But that's not the focus of my message today. I think that it's important not to look at Goliath as the central point of the story. This isn't a plucky underdog story, and Goliath is not the all-powerful figure. The Lord is all-powerful. The Lord created the heavens and the earth. Everything belongs to him. And all life is created by him. And yet, as 2 Samuel 22 verse 4 says, I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 55 16 tells us, As for me, I shall call upon the God and the Lord will save me. Acts 2.21 says, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. These are verses that speak truth. They speak the same truth that David understood, and that Gideon led just 300 men against an army because of. If we call upon the Lord, we will be saved, both in a salvation sense, and that he will save us from eternal separation and from our sins, but also that he'll save us from our enemies, from the situations we're up against. In an article on the website, whatchristianswanttoknow.com, not a website I knew of until uh, this week, but one of my searches led me there. A writer called Derek Hill has written, Almighty God is sovereign over all things, and he he is untouchable. Nothing can match his glory, strength, Power, might, knowledge, forgiveness, blessings, riches, love, mercy, grace, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, skill, handiwork, greatness, holiness, righteousness, availability, sensitivity, patience, tenderness, peace, graciousness, gentleness, self control, joy. Kindness, faithfulness, goodness, strategic ways, agape love, bravery, consistency, intentionality, humbleness, willingness, sympathy, empathy, beauty, authority, and anything else you can possibly think of. He is awesome. As a fan of listing stuff in quick succession for emphasis, I love that. What an incredible list. Nothing and no one can match God in any of those things. And more, that's not an exhaustive list. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what do these tell us? God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Derek Hill continues, answer answers, no one. Sure, we can be persecuted and hurt here on the earth, but eternally we will live and bask in the glory of Christ forever. We will never be defeated eternally. God loves his children. God was with David. God was with Gideon. And Joseph, and God is with us. Can I please have the band up while I pray?